0: much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. This is the word of the me again. Uh, I kind have of a privilege, uh, and we're very thankful to have Pastor Michael, uh, Michael Yang, from Tapestry. Thanks, just across the bridge uh, in Richmond there to come and preach God's word. Uh, Michael, uh, Jesus found Michael at a little international school in Taiwan, right, I believe. And over the years, he's been part of ministry, and God's been doing great things uh, through him. Uh, he's married to his high school sweetheart, Christy, who's in the back with their year-and-a-half-old daughter, Eden, in the back as well. Yeah, I can say hi to them uh, later. Uh, and uh, without further ado, I want to welcome uh, Pastor Michael to come bring God's Word today. Let's give a very warm uh, LLC welcome. Thanks, Doug. I think you read my bio from the TAP website, so <laughs> thanks for doing a little research, too, on that. Um, hey, friends, it's so good to be with you. It's been a while since I've been with you, so I'm grateful to be here. It's always good to be with my brothers from other brothers and sisters from different because It's good to be in the fellowship of Jesus if you count yourself as a disciple of Jesus, but even if you're not, good to be with you here too. So we're going to continue our worship by unpacking the scriptures together and learning about the Gospel of Jesus. Now, I believe you're in this series in Acts called Gospel in Motion. I love that little title because I think in this world of such challenging and difficult times, including what we, you know, we're praying about with Ukraine, we need good news. We need the gospel of Jesus all the more for it to be moving and shaking up our lives, our world. But so uh, tonight, I would just want to continue that conversation you're having. And I want to look at one of the great gospel movers and shakers, the Apostle Paul. But when we meet him here, he is not an apostle, a sent one of Jesus yet. Rather, he's a hunter, persecutor, killer of the church of Jesus. And and he has a come to, or more accurately, Jesus coming to him moment. So we're going to look at his conversion story. Now, it's important to know that when you look into scriptures, maybe in your own experiences, there is no singular formula or pattern when it comes to conversion. How someone's life gets turned upside down, inside out, by this Jesus. Because, you know, a lot of people, when you think of conversions, maybe you're like, oh, they have to be dramatic, like Paul's. But, you know, in Acts 8, for example, and you might be familiar, you might have touched on this already, there's that Ethiopian eunuch who was, uh, he was just reading a Bible and he didn't get it. And so Philip comes along and they basically do what? A Bible study. And he's like, whoa, yeah, Jesus is the real deal. There's a puddle of water. Can I get baptized? Right? It was a Bible study. And then in Acts 16, which you'll learn about, there's Lydia. Oh, I love the story of Lydia. She's this successful businesswoman, and she goes to a women's prayer group. And she's like, whoa, yeah, Jesus is the real deal. Can you baptize my household? So in other words, never underestimate the power of a Bible study or a prayer group when Jesus shows up and does his But, you know, with Paul, his story, it is a little more dramatic. So uh, I don't want to paint it as a formula, but I think there are elements of conversion in his story that we can find in most, if not all, conversion stories, including maybe our own. So three things for you tonight, or this morning. Sorry, I'm used to preaching at night. So this is very early for me, okay? Normally I'd still be sleeping, well, not sleeping in, but I'd be taking it easy right now. But, so three things. Uh, I'm old school preacher style because I love three-point sermons and alliteration. So three C's for you tonight. Conversion involves collision, it involves communion, and it involves commission. Alright, so that's where we're headed just to give you a heads up. Now I do want to say when we talk about conversion, all these elements, they don't only exist in our initial conversion. They actually are happening in our ongoing conversion. Uh, the longer i follow jesus the more i'm convinced we all need ongoing conversion and we need that gospel to be moving in our own lives all the time and we'll talk more about that so first collision Uh, our passage begins meanwhile saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the lord's disciples he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So, who is this Saul? Uh, Just a heads up, I will be using the name Saul and Paul interchangeably, it refers to the same person. Saul is his Hebrew name. And Paul is his Latin name because he's a Roman citizen. Every Roman citizen had to have a Latin name. So we'll use both together uh, this morning. Now, Saul was part of this sect called the Pharisees. And what that means was that he was very zealous in his own eyes for God and God's law. And that's why he goes to the high priest, the official authorities of the Jewish people to get approval to go hunt and kill Christians. And you catch that language there? It all begins with Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Now, in the original Greek there, it's like a panting or snorting, or like a wild beast. Or he's like this wolf that's on the hunt for Jesus' sheep. But God had other plans for this wolf. I love what the pastor theologian, John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, he says this, But God displayed his benefits in that he tied the jaws of the greedy wolf, even when he was ready to enter the sheepfold. You see, Paul, for all his zeal for God, failed to truly factor in God. I think Paul is a case study for what happens when we are blinded to God's grace and presence, even when we may be doing things in the name of God, even when we think we already see and know what's going on. And, you know, really, the story of conversion shows that conversion cannot happen without God's powerful grace. I'm more and more convinced that God's grace is more powerful and present at work in our lives than we notice or give god credit for because notice here did, did paul make the first move and decide to follow jesus here like was paul writing to damascus and singing to himself i have decided to follow no <laughs> jesus decided for paul do you see that And I think that's true for all of our lives. God's grace moves first and foremost and all the time, drawing us to God. And so Paul's on this collision course, and here's the moment of the crash. So as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So Paul collides here with Ultimate Reality, capital U, capital R, and Ultimate Reality has a name, Jesus. And so to use the words of the great modern theologian, Miley Cyrus, (laughs) Jesus came in like a wrecking ball and he never hit so hard in love. Right, Paul collides with this wrecking ball and three earth shattering truths. Number one, Paul discovers that Jesus is alive, right? Jesus says, I am Jesus. So the fact that he's talking to this Paul means he's alive. Number two, Jesus' claims are true. He is the Messiah, Israel's anointed king, the savior of the world, the incarnate son of God. Paul even asks, who are you, Lord? He's trying to get a sense who he's talking to. And then Jesus, number three, is identified with his church, right? Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me, not the church, me? Now, any of us who encounters the gospel, we collide with these truths. Now, here's the thing, though, about this story, this conversion story, you you can make a case it's the most famous conversion story in the history of the world. And yet, for years, this story seemed to me, to be honest, like really great and awesome and cool, but unrelatable. Because if you're a disciple of Jesus, like I am, maybe you didn't have a knocking flat on your bum, right? Dazzling light, audible voice from heaven when you were converted, right? I really, I didn't have that. So we might say to Paul this morning, "Uh, cool story, bro. But I can't relate. And I think Paul would say to us, Oh, not so fast. I think he would, he would remind us that though his conversion was dramatic, it was not sudden. Though his conversion was dramatic, it was not sudden. What do we mean, and why does that even matter? Well, listen to Paul again. This time it's from Acts 26. And he describes this conversion of event like this. He, he says... We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Okay, what's this kicking against the goats business? Well, the goats refer to a a long stick with a very sharp end at it, at the end, to uh, poke and prod livestock. So, Jesus was comparing Paul to this lively rebellious young bull and jesus had been chasing after paul for a while poking and prodding him with with this goat and it was painful for paul but he finally couldn't resist what jesus was doing so the question here is well what are those goads for him and i'm drawing here from the wonderful commentator and preacher john Stott. so he highlights three goats He says, number one, it's Paul's doubts. See, Paul's mental framework collided with Jesus because Paul thought Jesus was this false and dangerous and also dead teacher. And yet there were all these rumors of miracles and powerful teachings and transformative encounters. And also this Jesus was raised from the dead. So Saul began to wonder who is this guy? He's either a lunatic A liar, or could he be the Lord of Israel, God in the flesh? Now with all our conversions, I think Jesus is addressing our faith and our doubts, too. The more and more I follow the way of Jesus, I often see there are cycles of faith and doubt. It's normal. Expect it. Don't be scared of it in yourself or in the lives of others around you. It's normal. The fact that you have doubts is not all bad. It means your faith is still alive. But here's the important thing about doubts. Instead of giving into them, let those doubts be an invitation to prayer. To lead you to seeking after this Jesus. I think one of the best prayers, all of us, whether we are disciples of Jesus or not, one of the best prayers we could pray is, "Jesus, make yourself more real to me." Uh, in fact, I invite you to pray that uh, after me. Let's pray this together. Jesus, make yourself more real to me. Yeah, I humbly offer that to you. That's a prayer for any time and always. So, Paul. He had his doubts, but there was something else that was poking and prodding him. So the second thing we notice is the faithful witness of other Christians. So we have on record one of Paul's earliest and most formative experiences with Christians was him overseeing the martyrdom, the execution of Stephen in Acts 7, which you already covered here. So I don't have to go into detail, but you notice that that left the mark on Saul, Stephen's testimony. His faithfulness to Christ in the midst of persecution. His prayer for those killing him. Now, what does that mean for us? I think it reveals the powerful impact of other faithful Christians in our lives. Mentors, neighbors, older brothers and sisters in Christ, teachers, pastors, uncles and aunties, parents and friends, all of it. I would be careful of any conversion story to Christ that doesn't involve Christ's people. Now practically speaking, what does that mean for us today? It means, I think, as we transition out of the pandemic, it means showing up consistently and as faithfully as we can. And you realize that you are a powerful gift and maybe even a goad for others and they are for you as well. There is no substitute for faithful Christian fellowship and witness among one another as we follow Jesus. Are you with me? And lastly, there's one final go that Paul could not escape. It was his own conscience and guilt. So you heard that language around darkness and blindness. Paul was physically blinded, but in my interpretation, I think that was just a physical manifestation of his existing spiritual blindness in his own conscience and heart. Now, if you read the letters of Paul, if you get to know his story, he was a man that was wrecked by guilt. Even though he would say things like he was faultless in external righteousness, internally guilt was eating him up. And so, what's the lesson here for us in terms of our conversion? I think we must always pay attention to our conscience to understand the role of guilt in our conversion, even ongoing conversion. Now, maybe the word guilt for you is hard to hear, because it comes with all sorts of baggage, and and I get it. Uh, The Bible uses it, though, very often, and is not afraid to use it. But maybe we're a bit more hesitant. So maybe another word that captures what we're talking about, what Paul experienced, was distress. Like, great distress. And that's why I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians. So I think this captures Paul's experience and his, and his pastoral heart for people he was writing to, including us. So it, he says, you know, there's distress that drives us to God. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets, end up on a deathbed of regrets. So, all that is to say, do not be afraid of that distress you're feeling. It could be from the Lord Himself. But the point is, Paul says He doesn't want us to end our life in regrets, not listening to that or not feeling that poking, that prodding. And you realize altogether that Him kicking against these goads, as painful as it was, it was the best thing. May that be true of us as well. So that's collision. And we see how collision leads directly into communion. So communion, or really what I mean by that is deep, meaningful relationship, is core to every conversion story. And first, there's communion with God, and there's communion with the church. So beginning with communion with God, uh, notice we're told in verse 11 that The Lord, Jesus, told Ananias, go, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Now, what was Saul praying about? Uh, We can assume he was praying for the forgiveness of all his sins, especially his self-righteousness, his persecution of the church of Jesus. We can imagine he was praying for wisdom, like, Todd, what do I do now in light of bumping into you. And I think he was praying prayers of praise. He was worshiping God. And how do we know that? Well, if you have ever met new converts, or you yourself remember when you first came to the way of Jesus, you are excited, you're filled with joy, you want to worship and praise. Which leads John Stott to say, you know, that very same mouth that was breathing out murders, threats was now breathing out praises and prayers to God. (laughs) Come on now. Now, after communion with God, there's also communion with the church. Right? There's that other character in Paul's conversion story that, that was highlighted earlier, right? Ananias. Ananias. And I think this has to be one of the most touching moments in the entire book of Acts. A book full of touching moments. Because, just can you imagine being in Ananias' shoes? You're sent to go and help a man who is literally hell-bent on killing you and everyone you loved. But can you imagine being in Paul's shoes? To have someone like... Ananias embrace him. Whoa. So let's let's slow down here. Notice the details. So we're told, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who happened to you, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again, and be filled with With the Holy Spirit so immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again he got up was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength so this is why all conversion must be linked with communion with the church because notice Ananias what does he do his first thing is he places his hands on Saul that's that's a That's an embrace, a tender moment. And then what does he do? He says, brother Saul, brother Saul. So just imagine, this could have been Saul's first words that he hears from a Christian after his conversion. And the first word is this loving welcome, brother Saul, that the great enemy has now been brought into the family of God. And then Ananias does what? He confirms with Saul that Jesus is with you. Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me. So Ananias offers him loving embrace, communion, and Jesus. And this is, again, why I think the church as a whole is so important, but I especially say why life groups are so important. Because life groups is where we practice this in the most intimate and connected and consistent level. You know, I've been part of life groups for the past 12 years of my life now. I honestly can't imagine being a disciple of Jesus without being in a group like that. I just can't do it. Now, if you're not in one, I consider, you know, maybe consider joining one or or starting one of some kind. But really, all that to say is the greatest gift you can give one another is to share Christ's presence. And here's one way to do it. There's many ways to do it, but I I think there's one practical way in light of this series we're talking about. It's actually to preach and share the gospel with one another. Did you know you could do that? You can preach the gospel to one another. (laughs) Like, uh, for example, uh, every couple weeks, I meet with a good friend of mine. And we check in we enjoy a meal we're reading through books together we pray for one another but by far the best thing we do for each other every time we meet is we actually preach the gospel we share the good news of jesus to each other to remind each other how much we need jesus so one of the most important and practical things you can do is offer to one another the gospel all right And lastly, with this collision, communion, we get commission. So we're told Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, uh, we won't spend too much time on this because the rest of the book of Acts, you can see Paul's commission unfold. But a few observations to connect conversion with what commission, what do we mean by that? Again, I love what John Calvin says. He goes back to that image of Paul as the wolf, and then he highlights how God's grace is at work in in this person's life. So he says, not only in such a cruel wolf being turned into a sheep, but also in his assuming the character of a shepherd. You notice that? This wolf becomes a shepherd, which means God can transform any one of us. But that also means everyone God converts, God commissions. Everyone God converts, God commissions. We see this in Paul, but we see it in our own lives too. This is how gracious and wise our God is. Like God knows that our relationship, our communion with God and with the church is best sustained, is best strengthened by having a mission, a commission, a shared purpose. Right, you all know that, like good relationships, you have a shared purpose, a shared vision, a shared like direction you're heading towards. So our God is so good, so gracious to set it up that way. Now, so what does that mean to be commissioned? What are we to do? Again, many things, but in light of this story, I just wanna highlight three invitations to practice. And these are invitations. They're not coercion. Uh, I'm not forcing you to do this. Pastor Doug is not forcing you to do this. Uh, we make invitations. You make decisions. But I think all disciples of Jesus were invited to practice the way of Jesus in in, in some form. So first invitation is share your collision story. Uh, if you've ever been in a car accident before, you know, it's not fun, it's not great, but you always have a story afterwards, right? And so maybe you've told that story before. Same thing with the way of Jesus, right? We should all share our collision stories, and especially multiple collision stories if you've encountered Christ in different ways, different times. And if you're like, how do I do that? If you've never done that before, uh, you can even use Paul's goads as a framework, you can tell people simply how God's grace has met you in your doubts. Or you could share how uh, you witness witnessed other faithful Christians impact your life. Or you can talk about your own conscience and distress and how God met you there. Right? Now, practically speaking, all that means is you can just take some time to think about these things. You can maybe even write down a few notes. And then just practice articulating, sharing this with Others, you can even do this in your life groups. You can have a whole night dedicated to that, or you can have one person share each night when you meet. Right, I'm just throwing out some ideas there, okay? A second invitation to practice is share your communion relationships. You know, um, when we share the faith with others, you know, it all depends on who they are and your relationship with them. But for the most part, I would not start with like the doctrines or the big ideas. I would start with you simply sharing this real relationship you have with God, or your relationship with other disciples of Jesus, with this non-Christian. So they kind of get a sense, you know, our our culture, the universal language they do understand is relationship, right? So when you share that, they can start to understand, okay, you're in a relationship with this God and with these other people, like, okay, maybe I can get get in on that or understand why that matters right and then last practice um i, I don't know you all and uh, i haven't been with your church often but i already know who's the greatest evangelist among all of you and it's not doug even though he really does have a passion for the gospel and people okay that's i've seen that myself and if you ever meet doug in a cafe he's ready to chat okay <laughs> But the greatest evangelist in your church is you. Together, collectively, you are the greatest evangelist in the church. And what that means is, you together, you are literally on a co-mission, right? Together, you're on this mission to share. So in other words, when you are witnessing to others about the gospel, don't try to do it on your own introduce other brothers and sisters in christ to that person you're talking to you never have to do it on your own and that's a beautiful connection between communion and commission you see that it's all interconnected are you picking up what i'm putting down yeah okay so i do want to say you know i'm not here this morning to add any guilt or burden for you to share the gospel Instead, I want to remind you that, you know, at the end of the day, it's not not guilt, it's not willpower that will propel you out to share the gospel in the long run. Do you know what's the most powerful and sustaining motivator for sharing the gospel? It's to experience it yourself regularly and deeply. That's how it works. It's to get that gospel in constant motion in your own lives. You know, we've talked about sort of preaching the gospel with uh, amongst yourselves, preaching the gospel to those outside the church. There's one more person you need to preach the gospel to. It's yourself. You see, I've been following Jesus for 17 years now, and somewhere along the way, I got this false idea that I had graduated from the gospel. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus saves us based on sheer grace alone, not on our own merits. He's redeeming and reconciling us to God and to one another and doing this with the whole world. Yeah, I get it. Basic Christianity, move on next. But the longer I follow Jesus, the more I need the gospel. I've come to see that as true. Because for me, I'm so quick to make my own cocktail and drink down this cocktail of arrogance or of self-reliance and despair at times. And so uh, the pastor Tim Keller from New York City, he once said something I've never forgotten. He said something to the effect: uh, the gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of the Christian life. The Gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of the Christian life. So he's American, Z for him, Z for us. In other words, we never graduate from the Gospel. Rather, like a pathway, we walk along the Gospel all the days of our life. And it's A to Z in that the Gospel, you can imagine it's like electrical wires that runs through the apartment or house of your life and it's meant to light everything up. Every relationship, every area, every endeavor you put yourself to, the gospel is meant to be there. I've noticed I need to hear the gospel every day, not just once a week. So friends, are you preaching the gospel to yourself? Did you know you could do that? How do you do that? Well, here's one way to do it. You can even take what we learned today and listen for the good news. You can do this with most passages and stories from the Bible, right? You're like wringing a wet shirt, just like you're wringing out the gospel of every story. So, Lord's love, hear the good news. You can preach something like this to yourself this week, especially when those doubts come, especially when you're feeling scared or anxious or burdened. You can say, I have collided with Jesus. A person of ultimate truth and love. And this collision was never more evident than at the cross. I collided with the truth that I am humbled as a sinner in need of grace. That I cannot save myself and I cannot save others. I need this Jesus to redeem and rescue and heal and reconcile me and others. That's only possible through him. That's the truth. But I have also collided with ultimate love. That at the cross, Jesus gladly, lovingly, willingly went to the cross for me. He did not die for me, begrudgingly, but willingly. And that, that lifts me up. That gives me confidence that my Savior loves me. And the gospel also tells us, because of Christ, I have communion. I'm not alone. I have communion with God and with others who have collided with this God. And lastly the gospel we can preach this to ourselves we can say i am commissioned i have a purpose i am part of the good news of god's good news about jesus that is going out into the world do do you see that church that's how you can preach the gospel to, to yourself this week today any day you need it and the extent to which you do that the extent to which you hear the gospel see the gospel let the gospel get deep down into you transform every area of your life bit by bit help you catch fire that will propel you out to join the gospel that's already and always in motion amen, amen. would you join me in prayer as we close let's pray Gracious God, thank you for the conversion of your Apostle Paul, and through the outpouring of your Spirit, may we continue to experience your powerful and good grace in our lives. Thank you for the Jesus he collided with, and that we collide with as well. I pray for all of us, Lord. Help us to be pulled into deeper communion with you, God, and with one another, so that we can be propelled further outward with the gospel. And above all, I pray that the gospel will be in constant motion in our own lives to light up our lives so that together we are motivated and empowered to keep sharing it. We pray all this in the real, dynamic, and electric name of Jesus. Amen.